What should the Baltimore Ravens do at wide receiver? We talk about that and more next year on Locked on Ravens. You are Locked on Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And we return here with another episode of Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire. Of course, we're here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Ravens your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all platforms. And today's episode of Locked On Ravens is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is we covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we're back. It is another week of Ravens talk. We now know the Ravens draft class. We know their 2022 schedule in full. Things are chugging along. Now, it will be probably the more down time of the offseason here as teams will just look to maybe sign a free agent or two here and there. I would expect the Ravens to do some of that also. And then soon enough, we'll be at OTAs, training camp, preseason, and then the regular season. But Here's today, we're going to be talking a bit about the wide receiver position for the Ravens. And I know, stop, stop me if you've heard that one before. <laughs> it's been a pre- pretty popular topic of conversation here on the show, especially after the Ravens decided to trade away Marquise Brown to the Arizona Cardinals after his trade request. But here today, we're going to be talking a bit about what this team should do at wide receiver from here, because the news on Friday was that Jarvis Landry, my preferred, many people's preferred top wide receiver target for this team ended up signing with the New Orleans Saints. So we'll talk a bit about Jarvis Landry and his deal with the Saints, what what ended up happening there in the first segment. But in the second segment, I do want to pivot into just what they should do. Should they sign a veteran? Should they roll with the young guys? All things we've kind of talked about in spurts here on this show before, but I kind of want to bring it all together, especially with Landry no longer being an option and just whether it's even worth it to bring in a veteran at this point. Then in the final segment, I'll just be talking a bit about the schedule. I did a show on Friday about the Ravens schedule And if you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend it. But we're just going to be talking a bit more about stuff I've noticed and stuff I noticed over the weekend that I didn't have a chance to share on Friday's show. So again, a jam-packed episode for you here today. Before we get into it, though, if you're here with us on YouTube in video form, you can see my face and my background. Be sure to subscribe to the channel, like this video. We've been building a great Ravens community here on YouTube. And our next goal here is 2,000 subscribers. So thank you so much if you've already subscribed. And if you're thinking about it, I highly recommend you do so. We put out Daily Ravens content here Monday through Friday, five days per week. So if you want Daily Ravens updates, analysis, opinions, and more, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. It really does help me out. But also, we're building a great audio community as well. We've been building that for a very, very long time here on Lockdown Ravens. So thank you if you're listening in audio form, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our channel or follow whatever option you have wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to turn notifications on and also be sure to follow me on twitter at kaustriker34 and the locked on ravens account at locked on ravens but let's now dive into jarvis landry now yes again jarvis landry was my preferred free agent target for the ravens at the wide receiver position just based off of what was out there landry signing with new orleans saints a one-year six million dollar deal and at this point, and, and I talked about this a lot last week, the Ravens in general, not just with wide receivers, but if they want to sign any free agents that 
are considered more top of the top of the market free agents at this point. They can't probably be handing out one year deals because right now with the Ravens cap situation, it's better for them to give two year deals or three year deals where they can push that money back into those future years. So into the second year, into the third year. So what we could be seeing is a deal where let's say, let's take Jarvis Landry for an example. If Landry had signed a two year, $14 million deal with the Ravens, let's just throw that number out there. The Ravens could have had him making maybe a $3 million base salary in year one. And then maybe you have a lot of the other money pushed back into the second year. And then you can get out of it after the first year because that money isn't necessarily guaranteed. So you can have that option. The one-year deals, those are, that's what you're getting. One year, 6 million, you you have to hit, it's based off of contract language. So it seems like Landry could have some incentives in there, but at the same time, you just, you never know what it can be with these one-year deals. So the Ravens, it's, it's better business for them at this point to get the two-year deals and the three-year deals with those top-level free agents at this point in the offseason. And obviously, again, this isn't March, so it's not like a top like 10 player is going to walk through that door in free agency. It's it, it's guys who haven't signed. It's after the draft. The Ravens, this is when they like to sign guys, right? They have shown that where – Obviously, the compensatory pick formula doesn't really affect them as much this year because they have signed guys like Marcus Williams and Morgan Moses who will count against that. But it looks like the Ravens should at least be in the market for a veteran. We'll we'll talk about whether they should actually sign one of the guys in the second segment. But for Landry, there was a lot that he brought to the table. And it's almost like, all right, where do they go from here now situation? We'll, again, get into that in the second segment. But it's like, what a lot of people went through with Sedarius Smith and with Bobby Wagner. It's like, what is life after these guys? And I know the Ravens, they never had, well, okay. With Sedarius Smith, they kind of not really sort of had him, right? It was an agreement, but then he backed out. But Bobby Wagner, they never had Bobby Wagner. Jarvis Landry, they never had him. The difference between Wagner and Landry is that there was an actual visit with Wagner. With Landry, it was just more reported interest. But it seemed like there was a lot of a lot, a lot of smoke behind these things. So people start imagining scenarios, and it's like, all right, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And then you kind of got to move on to other options when it doesn't work out. Landry's a player that would have brought a lot of toughness, very durable over the middle of the field. He works very, very well. But with that, he did bring a little bit of redundancy with what the Ravens had. And now would I have taken that redundancy for the type of player he is? I said multiple times I absolutely would have. So he was, again, my preferred target at the position. But now the Ravens, they – they have to move on. <laughs> He's not there anymore. And it's an unfortunate situation. But with the money that he got from New Orleans, a one-year $6 million contract, with the Ravens still probably needing to fill out a couple more areas of their roster. And we talk about the edge position. What's the depth looking like there? It seems like Justin Houston is all but a lock to come back. Obviously, nothing confirmed, and you never really know. The Dolphins actually signed Melvin Ingram yesterday, and that's a player who, like Houston, got the UFA tender placed on him. So just because the UFA tender was placed on Houston doesn't mean that he's 100% coming back, but it just feels like the right signing at that position. So Houston's tender, which would be, I think, around, what was it, 2.3, million, maybe a veteran cornerback. I know Joe Hayden's been discussed on this show. Maybe he's an option for them. Who knows? But then you also have to factor in the wide receiver position, which at this point, to me at least, and I know to a lot of other people, is the biggest need on this roster. And so when you have an opportunity to add talent, it's almost like the best player available strategy just in free agency, right? The Ravens, they're known for that best player available strategy. They love doing that. Well, in free agency, who was the best available wide receiver? At least in my opinion, it was Jarvis Landry. So you, you get the talent, you figure things out later. 
Jarvis Landry, I don't think would have necessarily relegated James Prochet or, or Tylen Wallace to a redshirt year again. But you have to look at it as a wide receiver core of Landry and Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews. And I know he's a tight end, but, you know, uh, the same thing. Devin DuVernay, it would have been great. Now, there are other options. Just because the Ravens didn't sign Jarvis Landry does not mean if they want to sign someone, they can't anymore. <laughs> there are options. But Landry, another key is I mentioned the durability. He was by far the most durable player with that top end talent. The Ravens, now that they have lost out, and if they haven't lost out, who knows whether they were actually interested. The reported interest was there, but was a real interest. You never really know those things unless something comes out. But at this point, you're looking at guys who potentially might miss a lot of time. And so we'll talk about that next coming up. But when looking at Landry, it is a bit of a disappointing thing where, you know, again, a player that seemed to just have that Raven mentality. And maybe it was like, I don't know, did Marcus Peters have something to do with it where the two just wouldn't have gotten along? Obviously, that's pure speculation. And I'm not even saying it was a factor. But there are, there are a couple of things, you know. Was it this? Was it that? What what when obviously with Jarvis Landry, the one year deal also gives him an opportunity to hit the free agent market again next year after a 2021 season. That was a pretty down year for him. It was the worst season of his career and he missed some games due to injury there. So this gives him an opportunity to build his value back up. New Orleans is going to be a, I think, a higher volume passing offense than Baltimore's passing offense. That gives him opportunities to rack up the stats, rack up some catches, right? Maybe that's what he valued. And if that's what he valued, then you know what? More power to him. That's that's what he valued. So at the end of the day, the Ravens do not end up getting Jarvis Landry. He goes to the New Orleans Saints. And in our second segment, we'll be talking about just where the Ravens go from here at the wide receiver position. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to talk about here on Locked On Ravens, of course. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about Bet Online. And our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. And if you're like me and your basketball team has been eliminated from the NBA playoffs, mine being the Denver Nuggets, you can still find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's basketball playoffs that are still going on, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports waging information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today, use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. We're back here. Our second segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still here with you on this Monday episode. And again, thank you for making Locked On Ravens your first listen of the day. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're here in video form or follow us anywhere you get your podcast in audio form if you're here in audio form. But let's now continue our wide receiver discussion. And it's kind of, it's almost like laugh out loud funny. <laughs> it's like, the Ravens, it seemed like going into this offseason, right, it was going to be all oh, the Ravens are so deep a wide receiver and they have all these options. And they're going to add somebody and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be great. And they're going to be so deep at the position. And we're sitting here on Monday, May 16th, and we're talking about how much of a need it is and whether they should sign a veteran or just roll with their young guys. Marquise Brown no longer in Baltimore. It, it is absolutely crazy to me just, just how fluid this league is and really all sports leagues. And the Ravens, they now have created a need for themselves. And obviously, again, they, they they couldn't really help the Marquise Brown thing, right? He requested a trade out. And if you requested a trade out, I've said before, I think it was of the best interest of both parties to just split and call it a call it a partnership and just say, you know what? Fresh starts for both. And, and that's what it is. I wouldn't want to blow up in week eight when Marquise Brown gets two targets or something crazy to happen there. You never know what can happen. So now with the Ravens, they are very, very young at the position. That's not saying they don't have talent there. I think their wide receiver group 
is extremely talented. You have Rashad Bateman, who I think is going to be the number one, regardless of who was brought in, unless it is a trade for a clear number one guy. Then you have Devin Duvernay, James Prochet, Tylen Wallace, all very young, but talented players, you know, guys who can fill different roles and guys who have in limited opportunities, some more limited than others have shown flashes. And so I'm excited to see those guys in much bigger roles. But the question does become with Jarvis Landry out of the fold, is it even worth it for Baltimore to sign a veteran wide receiver considering the options that are still available? Now I put out a tweet. What day was it? I can't even remember what day it was either Friday or Saturday about, I think it was Friday. It was on Friday about the Ravens. And if they did want to still sign a veteran, who they could go after, who were the guys they could sign. And the list included guys like Julio Jones, T.Y. Hilton, Will Fuller, Odell Beckham. There, there are others in that area as well. The kind of the lower tier options, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Albert Wilson, Deshaun Jackson. There are it's it's that type of free agent market at the position now. The Ravens, again, it's not March. It's not the first day of free agency. A lot of wide receivers have signed in a lot of different places. And for the Ravens, they have not signed any of them, and that has been their choice. And even in the draft, they, after trading away Marquise Brown, they decided instead of taking a wide receiver to take two tight ends. And again, that was their choice. But now they have another choice to make. Veteran wide receivers on this free agent market, when you're looking at just what they can bring, you look at redundancy factor with Jarvis Landry. I think now there is, I think, a bit of a debate as to who's the best free agent wide receiver left on the market. My personal choice is Julio Jones. I think Will Fuller is also in that conversation, although Beckham, a healthy Aldo Beckham in that conversation as well. But at this point, you have Julio Jones, who is that big bodied type receiver the Ravens have been lacking. You have Will Fuller, who is a field stretcher. T.Y. Hilton, another field stretcher. Deshaun Jackson, another field stretcher. Guys like Cole Beasley feel a bit redundant at this point. You really maybe wouldn't want that. Albert Wilson, another really speedy guy that you can put on the outside and do some work with. He can play all over the place. So there are options. But again, with the talent level those guys have, with the injury concerns, and that's big, the injury concerns, is that even worth it for the Ravens? My answer is yes, and and I'll explain to you why over the course of this segment. But I think when, when looking at these guys, the obvious thing we have to start with is the injuries and it goes it's it's not just one or two players it is pretty much almost almost the entire class of guys <laughs> there are serious injury concerns with all of them and, and i pulled up the stats for julio jones t.y hilton and will fuller obviously there are others although beckham his injury thing is that's out in the open he tore his acl in the super bowl i wouldn't expect him back until november obviously he could come back a bit earlier but to me uh, is that worth it for the Ravens? We all know the player he is when he's on the field. We know how talented he is, but will he be able to return to the field in 2022? And if it's a one-year deal for the Ravens and he misses the whole season, they they blew their cap space on a guy who didn't play for him. So that's a risk they would maybe take, maybe not. We don't know. But so Julio Jones starting off, obviously he, to me, is the best out of the guys remaining. Some people have differing opinions on that, but when looking at his injury history, there is concern there. And it seems like Julio is always a player who has been like playing hurt. The hamstring, obviously a huge concern for him over the course of his career. He's only really played in a few full healthy seasons overall, counting one, two, three, four of those over the course of his 11 year career. But it just seems like to him, the hamstring has been an issue over the past couple of seasons. He actually, he actually had a stretch from 2014 to 2019 where he did not play below 14 games but again it always seems like he is hobbled he is hurt the hamstring in some way shape or form has affected his play 
Now in 2020 and 2021, Julio Jones has been limited to 19 games over the course of two seasons. So that is not ideal. His tenure in Tennessee did not work out very well, but you have to respect the resume that Julio Jones provides, the catches that he has made. Is he the player he was when he was at all pro in Atlanta? No, he is not. I can admit that to you right now. But I think he could still be a valuable presence to this team and someone who I think could be a nice compliment on this offense. T.Y. Hilton, another guy. Actually, yeah, okay. Yeah. T.Y. Hilton is somebody who the injuries have been a bit more like, oh, yeah, same thing. Banged up. The games missed have been more erratic with him. Recently, he missed a couple games in 2018. He missed two of them in 2018, six in 2019. He missed one in 2020, and then he only played in, how many is that? 10 games, 10 games in 2021, he played in 10 games. So again, a player who is a field stretcher, someone who has averaged 15.4 yards per catch for the course of his career. But again, is he the player he once was when he made the Pro Bowl from 2014 to 2017 in Indianapolis? He's not. He also spurned the Ravens last offseason. He he had an offer from him, apparently, and, and he decided to go back to Indianapolis. So does he even want to come to Baltimore? But again, I think as a field stretch or something they lost in Marquise Brown, he could, I, I wouldn't say he would replace Marquise Brown, but he would be an option for them at that position. And then you're looking at Wolf Fuller, someone who the injury history here is probably one of the most concerning ones on the field when he is healthy. He is a beast. I mean, he's really, really good when he's healthy. But he has never played a full 16-game season, or I guess now 17. He's never played a full season in his NFL career. 14 games played in 2016 as rookie year, then 10 in 2017, 7 in 2018, 11 in both 2019 and 2020, then just two games in 2021. Now, Fuller is, again, speedster, field stretcher, and really good when healthy. But you'd almost have to, with a lot of these guys, it's the same thing, penciling in. All right. We want them to play the full 17 games, right? This is what the Ravens are saying. They, they, we want them to play the 17 games, but if we sign them to the deal, you have to factor this in. And that's what the Ravens are telling themselves, where they would have to factor it in. If the Ravens are having that conversation with themselves and looking at a veteran wide receiver and they're saying to themselves, well, you know, at this point, we should just sign a guy. And at that, then at the end of the day, if he misses games, he misses games. And, and we'll, we'll just deal with that then. If that's the conversation they're having, I don't, I don't hate it, but at the same time, you have to account for that. And then if your cap is going into a guy who's missing four games, six games, eight games, 10 games, that's going to impact one, what you can do during the season. The Ravens do like to go into the season with a bit of, with a bit of cash to be able to sign guys, trade for guys and in case of emergency. And yeah, last year, the Ravens had a couple of those emergencies with the injuries they suffered. But if a guy's missing all that time and you kind of know that going in, it, it gives you an opportunity. It, it's, it's a pro and a con. It gives you the opportunity to game plan. You know you're getting a talented player, but at the same time, you know that guy's probably going to miss games. It's even like Sammy Watkins last offseason where what was the key concern or one of them when Sammy Watkins was signed? It was the fact that he misses games. And what did he do in 2021? He missed games. And I think it really impacted his, his ability to get back on the field for the Ravens and, and impact the game in a positive way, especially – in the second half of the season, where his role was pretty much non-existent. He didn't really play a lot, didn't really do a lot on the field. And now he's in Green Bay catching passes from Aaron Rodgers. So looking at that, I don't know. I, I feel like there is still a good 
I think it'd be a good thing, I'd say, for the Ravens to to add a veteran. It gives this room a lot of experience, someone who these young guys can learn from, and it can give them quality snaps. But there has to be an insurance plan outside of that veteran. You know, maybe it's two veterans. Maybe the Ravens signed two veteran guys, really cheap contracts. They understand that maybe one of these guys is probably going to miss a quarter of the year or two-fifths of the year, whatever it may be. And so they say, all right, we're going to have a contingency veteran option. Now, what they could also do is they signed a lot of good undrafted free agents, big-bodied guys, also some some slot presence, Slade Bowling from Alabama, one of those players. But if they decide that they wanted to sign a veteran and then maybe one of these undrafted guys make the roster as well, and that gives them six wideouts, then they could do that as well. But the other key thing to, to talk about here is the fact that the Ravens do have four tight ends that realistically – very, very realistically could make this roster for running backs who could very realistically make this roster. If they go for running backs, if they go for tight ends, how many wide receivers do they take? I think in my ideal world, the Ravens right now, and again, subject to changes always, three running backs, six wide receivers, four tight ends. I think that's what it is. I am going with maybe, maybe like, uh, how many? The 14 with those combined positions in running back wide receiver and tight end. So if you have four running backs, four tight ends, six wide receivers, that's 14, but actually let's, let's go 13. I'm going to say 13 is that. So you have to make a cut somewhere. It makes it a little difficult because is that cut Mike Davis? Is that cut Tyler Beatty? Is that cut just one of the rookie tight ends? I highly doubt that. Is that cut Nick Boyle? Do they keep five wide receivers and take an undrafted guy? Do they keep five wide receivers and sign a veteran? So if it is three wide receivers, or excuse me, three running backs, six wide receivers, four tight ends, there are options. You could do one veteran, one undrafted guy. You could do two veterans. There are options. You could do even do two undrafted guys if you wanted. Or if the Ravens keep five wide receivers, if it's four running backs, five wide receivers, four tight ends, then it becomes, is it a veteran? Is it an undrafted guy? And we haven't even talked about trades. There are options there as well. And we'll, we'll talk about that throughout the rest of the offseason too. But I still think it would be beneficial for the Ravens to bring in a veteran. At this point, my rankings would be Julio Jones, Will Fuller, T.Y. Hilton, Odo Beckham. We know the talent he is, but I just, I don't know when he's going to be healthy. Antonio Brown, someone I saw mentioned a couple of times under my tweet. I just, again, great player on the field. I just don't think the Ravens are going to take that risk and sign him with the off-field stuff that he's had. It goes against what they've shown over the course of a very long time. So I'm kind of kind of putting him in the not really a reasonable fit for them category and kind of focusing more on the other veterans on the market. So yeah, Julio Jones, Will Fuller, two by Hilton, my top three. I think they could do good by signing one of them, maybe even two, but you have to take into account the injury history. It is a key factor, but there's no denying the talent when these guys are healthy and on the field. And I don't think their presence would take too much away from the young guys like Rashad Bateman, Devin Duvernay, James Roche, and Tyler Wallace, who I all, I want to see all those guys thrive and all those guys play a really big amount of snaps. And this isn't even, it's not even talking about Mark Andrews, who is a tight end, obviously, but is right now the best pass catching option on the Ravens. And obviously Rashad Bateman, I think is going to, be a great option for him. Same with the other young guys. But I think at this point, adding a veteran and bring experience to that room that the top four guys, you have two third year guys and two second year guys. And that's it. A lot of undrafted guys after that, some other guys who have been on the practice squad a couple of years. So at the end of the day here, I think signing a veteran would be a good thing for this Baltimore Ravens team to do, but it's a matter of who and a matter of obviously if they can stay healthy 
on the field. But we'll head into our final break here on Locked On Ravens. When we get back, we'll be talking about the schedule a little bit more, diving into some things that I thought about over the weekend and just recapping what their schedule is. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to talk about on Locked On Ravens. First, though, I do want to tell you a bit about Built Bar. And imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. Well, that's what it's like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built. I just received my birthday cake puffs, and seriously, there is nothing like them. They're available right now, and we can't promise they'll be there tomorrow, so go get them today at Built.com. Make every day your birthday with Built's birthday cake puffs, and they've taken the delicious experience of biting into a fresh slice of birthday cake, and they have turned it into 100% white chocolate as well with added sprinkles and all built puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means with built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. So go to built.com to get your birthday cake puffs. Now go to built.com. Use promo code lock 15, get 15% off your order. It's promo code lock 15 for 15% off at built.com. We're back here. Our final segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still here with you. And again, thank you for making Locked On Ravens your first listen. Be sure to subscribe to this channel on YouTube. Follow us in audio form wherever you get your podcasts. Make your second listen Locked On NFL. I hosted the Monday show over there again today. So if you want to go check out me and hear me talk for an extra 30 minutes, <laughs> that's where I am. I'm over there on Locked On NFL as well on this Monday's episode. But let's get back into this Locked On Ravens Monday episode and talk a bit about the Ravens schedule. Now, there were a lot of things to take away from it, and I did kind of like an initial record prediction thing. We're going to dive into that, obviously, more throughout the week, throughout the offseason. I had them at 12-5. and five. I think that's very realistic, and I still think the 11-6 and six to 13-4 and four area is right where I have them falling right now. They start off their first four weeks against AFC East opponents. <laughs> they, they get all their AFC East opponents out of the way right there. They have... The Jets in week one, the Dolphins in week two, the Patriots in week three, and the Bills in week four. And I still, I thought about it. I still think how the, how the how the NFL could not make that Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson game a prime time game. Just two very good young quarterbacks. But you know, it's gonna be at one o'clock. The Ravens like playing at one o'clock. They they also like the bright lights. Don't get me wrong, but I think for what this Ravens team is going to face this season. I mean, you look at the Bengals' second half of the schedule. It is very, very tough. And they they were a first-place team last year. They play first-place schedule. The Ravens still have a decently tough schedule. Now, in terms of strength of schedule, the Ravens actually are 23rd in terms of hardest. So they have about the 10th easiest strength of schedule in the league this year. But, again, teams that have improved all around. I think the big stretches, though, I've talked about this before, my week nine through 11 stretch last year, that was Minnesota, Miami, Chicago. I said the Ravens had to go three and zero in that stretch. They went two and one. So that was a, that was a pretty big defeater for the Ravens right there. And the one game they lost was the game they couldn't lose. It was to the Dolphins, which was an AFC opponent. And the Vikings and the bears are obviously both NFC opponents. So those are games that obviously look, every game matters. You want to win every game, but in terms of if you would rather beat an AFC or NFC opponent, you're beating the AFC opponent every time. That's what you want now. My three-game stretch this year, and I talked about this on Friday's show, is weeks 11 through 13. That's Carolina, Jacksonville, and Denver. Now, compared to 9 through 11 last year, which was Minnesota, Miami, and Chicago, this is two AFC opponents and one NFC opponent. Carolina being NFC, Jacksonville, and Denver being AFC. I think the Ravens can easily beat Carolina. They can easily beat Jacksonville. And like I messed up and said that the Broncos game would be an easy win. I didn't mean it would be an easy win. And honestly, with Russell Wilson there, I don't think it will be. But that's a stretch where if you can go 3-0 and against that Russell Wilson-led Denver team, you have Trevor Lawrence there in Jacksonville and Sam Darnold, I guess, <laughs> in 
in Carolina, you can really, I think that's the stretch that could be a sneaky definer of the Raven season. People look to the week one through four stretch, you know, get off to a strong start. The four, four out of the last five games coming against divisional opponents with Atlanta kind of sandwiched in there. They look at those, the two primetime games against the Buccaneers and the Saints back-to-back in weeks eight and nine. Those are all, like, you look at those and you're thinking, yeah, these are all really important stretches, but it can sometimes be the games that people kind of overlook or they say, oh, all right, that's a win, that's a win. Well, if they can win those games, and let's say they start off super strong, let's say they have the same start that they had last season, and they go, you know, whatever it is, eight and three through the first 12 weeks, and, you know, they're, they're gearing up to face Denver in week 13, then I think if you can beat Denver there, you go to nine and three, and you can continue that momentum into some really tough divisional games to round out the season. And again, who knows with injuries, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But I think at the end of the day, the Ravens have a pretty manageable schedule overall. Only three primetime games this year. I expected them to get five. That was a little bit of a shock to me. I'm I'm not going to lie. But again, as I talked about on Friday show, it's what have you done for me now lately league and the Ravens, they had that six game losing streak to end the year. The league, isn't going to favor that they're going to favor teams like Cincinnati favor really young, exciting teams, not saying Baltimore isn't that they do have a lot of young talent. They are very exciting. They have a Lamar Jackson effect, but when looking at the NFC South, obviously the two games, I just talked about them, Tampa, New Orleans in prime time. Those are two games that are huge. Atlanta is a game. I think the Ravens can win pretty easily. Carolina, I just talked about AFC. You're also looking at the Jaguars who again, I'm not super concerned about Jacksonville. You always get, you always have to play the game, right? You, you can't just take a week off because it's Jacksonville. You can't take a week off because it's Carolina, right? You have to go out, play hard. These teams will sneak up on you. And I think that's something that we've seen with this Ravens organization before, right? Where they play up their competition a ton. They also play down their competition a lot. And that's something that, I think over the course of the last couple of seasons, playing down to their competition has kind of gone away a little bit, but instead of playing a Tennessee from the AFC South for the first place schedule, they're playing Jacksonville instead of playing the chiefs, which they, they played enough for the chiefs for a couple regular seasons, right? They played in four straight regular seasons. The Ravens, instead of playing the chiefs for a first place schedule, they're playing Denver. They have these opportunities to go out there and pick up wins that they can use. And again, divisional record is going to be huge for this team. They went one in five last year. That's practically unheard of in the John Harbaugh era. And was this tied for the second worst divisional record in the entire NFL. And that was a key factor because it made their conference record, not good. Their conference record also was not good just, just by itself. So I think when you're looking at what this Ravens team has in terms of their schedule, they have, I think, a very balanced one. They don't have four home games in a row. They don't have the weird Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland thing, which was just, it was, it was ridiculous having Cleveland with the bye week in the middle. I mean, obviously it's not Cleveland's fault. It happened. It's the schedule makers faults, but again, it gave Cleveland a huge advantage. I predicted the Ravens would win that week 12 game and lose that week 14 game. And what happened? The Ravens won that week 12 game and lost that week 14 game. So I guess I just know things. No, I'm kidding. But you know, I think, yeah, 12 and five is right in the middle of where I had them finishing. I think, I think that's a very fair prediction. Maybe they'll struggle in the first half a little bit as guys come back from injuries, try to regain their form. Maybe a guy or two wasn't ready to start the year when they would have liked to. And so they have to sit out week until week three, week four, week five. Maybe even they have to go on the PUP list. 
And then the Ravens maybe hit their stride in the middle, maybe finish strong late in their divisional games. I mean, I think the divisional games are going to define the year regardless. Like that stretch is probably the most important stretch for the last five against divisional opponents. If they can go three and one in that stretch, I think they'll set themselves up very nicely. If they can start off three and one in their first games, I think that'd be a very strong start. I anticipate more two and two right now, but that obviously again, subject to change with Baltimore, I think has a very, very good chance to, Again, put the league back on notice. This is a forgotten team. It's a team that with injuries, they, they struggled a lot in the back half of that season in 2021. And I mean, look, it, w- it was expected. People were saying, how are they How are they the top seed in the AFC through 12 weeks? This is unbelievable. And it was. The, the fact that John Harbaugh and this Ravens team got there, the top seed in the AFC through 12 weeks was incredible. But then the collapse obviously happened to six straight losses. And people forgot. I think that's what it is. So as guys get healthy, I think this team competes in a very talented AFC. They'll remind teams who they are, and I think that'll be a very good thing to see for this Ravens team. But that's all I have for you today on Locked On Ravens. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to get back in tomorrow. It'll be more Ravens talk from us, of course. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.